Good evening, good evening, good morning, good morning, and good afternoon. Good afternoon, whenever you're watching. It is Bet Online Salute Detroit Podcast. I'm excited. It's the madman and me here. We're too strong, but we'll get it done. Hey, if if I would if I was to do it with anybody, I would love to do it with the madman. <laughs> Jamal, how are you doing today? Doing well, Fred. Great to be here with you. It's a it's a different vibe with just you and me this time, but it's going to be so much fun. I, I I enjoy it so much uh, when we get the opportunity to do, uh, to you and me. I, I like how you said Madman and me. That feels like the sequel to like you, me, and Dupree. You know, so uh, we're gonna have some fun today. Hey, so I have to ask this question because you and your wife together are in eighty percent of the current Pac-12, correct? You said 80% uh, well, yeah, or I mean, 60? you know, I, I have three Pac-12 alma maters, uh, as folks may know, USC, UCLA, and Stanford. Um, and my wife went to uh, CU, went to Colorado. Oh, okay. I thought, oh, never mind. All right. Never mind. She then. went to undergrad. She went to Wash U in St. Louis. A lot of people think that that's UW, but it's it's the <laughs> one in St. Louis. So, yeah, if, if she went to UW, then... Then we're at five out of twelve at that point, and and making some headways. You know, I could I could file for uh, ownership of of uh, the bylaws and the committee at that rate. You know, there you go. So we have a big one this weekend. We got the Huskies coming into the Coliseum. Michael Penix Jr. versus Caleb Williams. Let's not let's not just say like we're we're kidding ourselves. If we say it's USC versus Washington, because it's definitely not USC versus Washington. It's Michael Penning. I'm sorry. Let's be respectful. It's Caleb Williams versus Michael Penning Jr. Right. Big showdown. We got the number 98. Correct me if I'm wrong. 98, 96. A low rank defense. 96. Yep. 96 versus 110. Right. So this is old school. Uh, West West. I should say Western Big 12 football. They're going to throw it around, score a bunch of points. Like I said earlier in the week, I said, when we come on Victory Sunday, we're going to have to catch our breath because there's going to be a lot of points. The average fan is going to love this game because it's 80-plus points because it's going to be scored. Um, I wish Ryan was here because I do have this question. I will start with this. How do you feel going into this game, Jamal? What, what are your feelings? What do you want to see? What do you expect? So, Coach, it's uh, it's going to be fireworks, I think, Saturday night, prime time, ABC. I think the question is going to be, what's the over? Is it going to be the number of points or the number of GMs in the building? I think uh, that's, you know, we're, we're going to be kind of looking at that in terms of, you know, attendance, just given how high these prospects are. Coach, I'm I'm looking for a couple of things here. I think this is the game where USC has an opportunity to salvage its season. They haven't yet put together four complete quarters, really, since all the way back that first half of the Colorado game. I mean, if you if you sort of put all of this together, yeah. it's been 14 quarters of uneven football. And so I think there's just an opportunity here to get right and 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 get focused. What I will say is I think that the rankings are not as meaningful in this game as the matchup. And even though Washington comes in very highly ranked at number five, I think there's a couple of things right now at play. One is, you mentioned it, the 96th ranked defense in the country. Two, I think the only win Washington has had against a ranked team was that iconic victory over Oregon. They have yet to play a ranked team since then or prior to that and really have looked pretty uneven since that Oregon performance. 
And then three, we have to go back to our diagnosis of what it takes to beat USC, right, Fred? I've been kind of beating on that drum the last six or seven weeks. You have to have elite quarterback play. You have to be able to get pressure with four and then be able to have seven at your disposal to either drop back or disguise pressure. And then three, you have to be able to win in short yardage. And even though Washington comes in ranked number five, even though they come in with a very, very decorated quarterback, so they have elite quarterback play, I think there's some serious questions about whether they can do those other two things. And so even though they come in as the number five team in the country, they come in as a team that actually doesn't really match up that well with this configuration of the USC Trojans. Yeah, so I was actually thinking about this today on my drive home. And I was like, if SC was undefeated right now, where would they be ranked? Right? And and the reason why I say that is because we're we're playing ourselves this weekend. You know what I mean? Like top ranked quarterback, decent running backs. Well, not decent. I think Marshawn Lloyd is a little bit better. He has a little fumble problem. Like it's obvious, but it's okay. If he goes, he goes. When he's going, he's going, right? Um Washington does have better receivers. Yes. Say that, right? Washington has better receivers, but defensively, they're about the same. Their struggles are about the same. They struggle against Arizona State and Tempe, right? They both struggle against Arizona State and Tempe. Washington struggled against Stanford last week. Um, if SC's undefeated, are they ranked above Washington? Are they ranked? below Oregon, like when you really look at it, we're playing ourselves this week. This is a mirror image of ourselves and it's a very winnable game. You know, like, is it going to come to who has the ball last? I don't, that part, I don't know. It, that's what it's seeming like, right? Uh, UW is the three point favorite. Why are they a three point favorite? You know, the wise guys always know that they, that's an attainable game. So those are the questions you have. And then, you start to look at other things, right? You start to look at configurations like the game's on at 4.30 here, which is 7.30 Eastern. That's prime time on the East Coast, right? And you remember I said, Caleb has a chance to get himself back to New York. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things setting up to go SC's way. And I'm going to try to stay optimistic, right? I'm going to try to stay on this 3-0 train. And I, we could find out. Let's. Will you accept it? I'm going to ask you this, Jamal. Will you accept this? Can this be a legit measuring stick game for USC for the rest of the season? And the reason why I ask this question is Washington beat Oregon, right? Washington's a top five school. If SC beats, I'm not going to say dominates because this is a top ranked school, but if SC beats Washington and they do it better than they have in the past, the past season, can we look at this as a measuring stick game? Like, all right, we could go to the Oregon game and start looking at the Oregon game. Like, all right, there's opportunity. We could go to UCLA and look at it like there's an opportunity. Are those? Is this a true game where we could legit be like, they're there? They could be a contender. You know what I mean? Like, they can be a contender. Like, do you I think certainly think so, Fred. I certainly think so. Uh, I think this is an opportunity where if USC wins this game. And they do so having put together a comprehensive performance. It doesn't need to be comprehensive on the scoreboard, but they just played well in all three phases of the game in different moments. I think you walk out of here saying this team can compete with anybody in the country. So I think it changes the confidence. I think it changes the perception. Now, having said that, when you talk about measuring stick games, 
I think I always think of a measuring stick game as saying, hey, this is a team that we're going up against where their strengths are our weaknesses. And so how much have we grown from our weaknesses uh, to be a true contender? And in that regard, I'm not sure Washington is that matchup because I think the things that Washington is bad at, USC is bad at. Mm -hmm. And the things that Washington is good at, USC is good at. So what USC kind of struggles against more physical teams, we talked about kind of that upfront push, the ability to get short yardage, season kind of quarterback play. So, you know, Notre Dame was physical, right? Utah is physical. Oregon is physical. UCLA is physical. So in that regard, those games are more measuring stick games, quote unquote, because their strengths are USC's weaknesses. And then it becomes really a question of how much coaching, how much culture, how much preparation, how much growth has gone into the season to be able to do that here. It's a measuring stick game in the sense that they're number five. And if you win, you have so much confidence and so much belief that you can do more things moving forward. But it's not quite a measuring stick game in terms of seeing how much you have grown. Because USC could have the same deficiencies walking out of the Coliseum Saturday night, still be the very same flawed team that they are walking out of the Coliseum Saturday night and come out of there with a win. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And that's why I asked that question I sit in traffic when I drive home. So those are, things, <laughs> you know, I got a bunch of things to think about. I want to bring up another, I want to bring up another thing. And I think this is a good conversation for us to have before I'm going to pay this bill. Uh, the Rangers won the world series last night. That means you lost your opportunity to be a part of one of the greatest sports sports months there is every year. And it's November 2nd. So now we have is the two footballs, basketball and hockey, because baseball is now over. But if you still want to get a part of that action, you want to go to betonline.ag where you get all the up to the minute stats, wagers, lines, and the best rates you can get in town. That's betonline.ag. If you go there today and put in promo believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, we will give you a 50% welcome bonus. That's B-L-E-A-V. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, so Jamal, this is a good conversation for us to have, right? And this might carry us for the rest of the show, and, and I'm good with it because this could, this could get really good. Lincoln Riley is telling his team he's still – and there was a post that I saw on, on social media – and. It, they're still at the top of the best conference, right? And I took sports psychology in college. It was a part of my major. You have some psychology background with your development, doing your degrees and everything. He's telling his team they're still at top of the one of the best conferences in the nation. Record-wise, yes. Performance-wise, they're not one of the top teams in the nation. Do you think that is a good message to give these guys going into a game like this? Fred, it's a, it's a, that might be the best question you've asked all season. Uh, that that, that might have been the question of the year right there, Fred. Let me, let me just put that out there. So thank you for asking such a deep question. I think that what he's saying is technically true, but it's not complete information, to your point. Yes, they are at the top of or close to the top of the number one conference in college football. But A, they have not played a complete game in conference yet. And B, their conference schedule to this point has not been very heavy whatsoever. And any the only ranked team in conference that they played at home, Utah, they, they lost, lost to. So 
it's true, but it's not complete. It's not, you know, it, it's sort of one of those adages where it's sort of necessary but not sufficient. I think what he's trying to do is instill a little bit of confidence in this group because I think that group, again, walked away. This is probably the fourth straight game, Fred, that they've walked away feeling like they lost the game. I mean, we, four weeks ago, we talked about this last month against Colorado. USC was taking a knee to win the game, 48-41, and the Colorado fans were chanting overrated. Mm-hmm. I had never seen that before, where the losing team was chanting overrated to the winning team. And when you saw Colorado walk off the field and you saw USC walk off the field, it felt like Colorado won the game and USC lost the game. Then obviously after that, you had the situation with the losses against Notre Dame, losses against Utah, and now you walk out of the game last week against Cal, an undermanned Cal team, and again, Cal sort of walked out with their heads held high. They didn't have Jaden Ott the second half of that game, and, and yet they still battled to the very end, the final minute, the final possession, the final play almost with that two-pointer, and USC again walked off slumping. And so I think Lincoln Riley's trying to infuse some confidence in this team, particularly with the loss of Zion Branch, who arguably was probably this team's best cover corner this year. And so I think he felt the need to be more positive. Now, having said that, they've had so much hype around them since the start of this season that you wonder if it's going to sort of backfire in terms of entitlement. But I think that this was probably the right move on Riley's part to pump them up because they just haven't felt like winners in over a month. Even when they've won, it's felt like they've lost. Yeah, so... I'm a little worried about it, mm-hmm. right? And the reason why I'm worried about it, and right, you have to instill confidence in your team, right? And the reason why I'm a little worried about it is because up front, they were getting pat on the back when they should have not been pat on the yep. back. You know what I mean? And For then sure. and then they came through the grinder, and they were still getting patted on the back, right? Like, it's okay. We'll make it through this. Like And now it's like they were still, like, before the Utah game, Lincoln Riley's quote, we're still – the first place team in the best conference in America, right? And then you play Utah, and now you're saying we're still at the top of the best conference in America. Like, I get positive reinforcement, but at the end of the day, sometimes you need punishment than positive reinforcement. You know what I mean? And they could be getting that. I'm not in the meeting rooms and things like that, but it needs to be, yeah, I'm going to say it. It needs to be at least put out to the media. Like, we were not happy with the way our team played. This and that, like, we got on them. This was one of the hardest practices. And I'm just not seeing that. Right. You know what I mean? And from my perception of what I am seeing is it's okay. We're going to rebound. We're going to rebound. But you've been saying it's okay. We're going to rebound for so long. And now you're running out of time. Right. We're at three games left. The season football season always flies by, especially in college and high school. You start the season in August. Next thing you know, you're around the table with your family and Thanksgiving. Like, man, I wish I was still playing. Right. So it, th- those are those are the things that it, that kind of worries me because we never saw the punishment. Right. And we don't need to see the punishment per se, but we at least need to hear about it. Like, we're not happy with the way these guys play Listen, We have players doing it, but that's the first time of that's the first time of a, a, the first sign of a championship team. I will say is players policing their sales. Like we're getting to that point, but if the leadership isn't doing it, sometimes it falls on deaf ears. 
you know, and like I'm a little worried that you're going to walk into this game like, hey, we're still at the top of the conference. But in reality, the team that's at the top of the conference, who's at the peak of the mountain, is the visiting team on your home field this weekend. You know what I mean? So they might not have the same mentality. They might legit be like, we've played bad for two weeks now. And we need to get better if we want to get a shot at the college football playoff. And so that's my biggest worry. I don't know if I'm okay with that message per se. Yeah. Because like this should be the game. Like, all right, whoever loses, it's okay. We're going to see them again in a month, right? We're going to see this rematch. Now it's like USC needs to win in order to stay in the Pac-12 championship race. It should be. This team, whoever loses, okay, they're going to fall in the rankings. That's fine. They have a chance to go back to the CFP. You get what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. the mindset there worries me a little, and I'm not really sure if they are in a good mindset to play a game like this. No, it's an excellent you know? point, Fred. And I think taking a step back here, I think the punishment and the positive, then the positive reinforcement is exactly the way to coach and it's exactly the philosophy you want to instill when you truly have a championship team. And I think that when you have gone 14 consecutive quarters with uneven performance, when you saw what this team was also uneven against Arizona State, when you've seen these performances, look, just because mathematically they have a chance to go the 3-0 and the rest of the way, or mathematically they have a chance to go to the Pac-12 championship game, it doesn't mean that this team is a championship-level team. And I have never seen in my lifetime, Fred, maybe you have in in yours being a a former player, I've never seen a team have nine games like this and then be able to just flip the switch and be a kind of a championship team and race to the championship, right? It just, you you have to be able to build those habits earlier in the season and you have speed bumps along the way, but you correct those speed bumps and then you, you sort of grow and you have that killer instinct immediately after the bump. And we've been talking about the switch, the switch, the switch for over a month. And I just don't think it's there. And so I think what he's saying is right now, look, this isn't wired like a championship team. I just got to build these guys up a little bit and make them feel good to win a game and see what what can happen if if that killer instinct or that spark comes because right now it's not there. And so I don't. I think by saying what he's saying, actually – he's almost acknowledging to himself it's not a championship team. Because if this truly were a championship team, you'd be sort of ripping into them a little bit, to your point, the way Saban would when he knows he's got a great team, the way Smart would when he knew he had a great team, or Dabble when he knew he had a great Clemson team. But I don't think that's the same issue here. Uh, This team just is fundamentally flawed. And I think a lot of the conversation is that, hey, there's still an opportunity to, to achieve all the goals but that's just math. It it hasn't been proven on the field, right? And so, when I and I will I'm address the uh, the only team that I've seen rebound after starting bad was the Green Bay Packers when Aaron Rodgers was like, "Hey guys, relax." They were like right, what, right. one in four or something like that, and they turned yeah. around. I think that's the year they went to the Super Bowl. I couldn't yeah. even take it. I'm not for sure, but that's like the only team. I've ever seen of all my years of watching, playing, and being involved in football, right? But NFL's but, a little different, right, Fred? Yeah, because yeah. you can afford to lose some games. There's a lot more parity in the sport. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about kind of getting hot right at the end to have that momentum to go in. College is a different game because 
a championship team is favored eight, nine games out of the schedule. Like yeah. you're not really going to even be tested eight or nine games. So you only get those three or four games to really show who you are. And you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's one loss and you're done. I mean, every time you're sort of putting your life on in your hands when you go out there in college football. So in the college football setup of every game being sort of life or death, I've never seen a team just sort of sleepwalk through nine games yeah. and then all of a sudden flip the switch and then go become the national champion. You know, we may, we may, there's always a first time for everything, but I just, I've never seen that. Yeah. So when, when I was coaching, a, a coach told me this, he was like, winning is the hardest thing as a coach, right? And the, the school I was at, we weren't very good. And like our first season, we won the first game. Right. And he we were Sunday. We're working and he's like, winning is the hardest thing as a coach. Like this is going to be the hardest thing you have to do because they're happy. Right. And so you have to get on them so they can win. Hey, we want to thank all you guys for listening to Monitor 1090. Uh, tune in, go to Underdog Fantasy Sports and go to your local vendor and get you a fight on stone, a fight on Pell from Stone Brewery. Um. Anyway, what I was saying was that they, he was saying this is going to be the hardest part is winning because they think that they've made it and they haven't arrived. And like I've seen Bruce Arians, he had a little special with the Cardinals on Amazon and he told his team every week. He was like, we've won, but you guys haven't arrived. You guys haven't accomplished. We're off the radio now. So he's like, you guys haven't accomplished shit. Right. Like, <laughs> accomplishing everything is winning the Super Bowl. You guys haven't arrived to shit. And I'm like, perfect. Like I like I get it. But like. When I what I'm getting from this is like they were winning up front and they were feeling accomplished. Right. And then they beat Stanford and they're feeling accomplished. Right. And then you start to see the low where they like played Colorado and they weren't that good. And th- but there was like, hey, we're still undefeated. That's all that matters. Right. And so I think there's a little psychology that's not right there. And I think this is something that Lincoln Riley needs to look into. Right. It's just a pain. Like, right. And, but if it was me, if I, if it was me and I was Lincoln Riley, I will feel like this was my biggest flaw this year. My biggest flaw was I didn't have my team mentally prepared and I need to go get help or some training on how to mentally prepare a team to become a national championship team because everybody, not everybody, but people know, right. People know if you get to, if you tell your team, our goal is to get to the national championship, our goal is to get to the national championship, our goal is to get to the national championship, and then you get to the national championship and you celebrate for getting to the national championship, when you play the game, nine times out of ten, you lose, right? Compared to our goal is to win the national champion. Right. Our goal is to be a national champion. And then when you get, you celebrate like, hey, we made it, but the goal is not done yet. And Pete Carroll was good at that. Pete Carroll, when we played in the Rose Bowl, hey, we're going to work hard. We're going to win the Rose Bowl and we're going to party. We're going to work hard, win the Rose Bowl and party. And like he he understood how to instill it. So I think there's just a little bit of installation that he's instilling in these kids that aren't great. But like you said, this team has the same flaws as SC, right? So they could come out and still be the top team in yes. the conference, right? You know what I mean? So, I mean, I, it's, saying all that is all for not, but it's just something that I, I just thought of and I'm like... But to your point, Fred, I mean, it's such an excellent point because it's almost even more dangerous then, right? Like, let's say they feel like, oh, let's say they beat Washington and then the reaction will be, well, you know, we were actually just kind of playing the fool a little bit against Utah and we were playing the fool against Cal and, you know, with Utah had bit us, with Cal it didn't and we're actually just this great team. And then you get set up for going into Eugene 
against a team that actually their strengths are your weaknesses. And now that sort of sets up mm-hmm. for a situation kind of the way you had at Notre Dame, where you just weren't ready to play and it was a bad matchup. So to your point, I agree with you. And I think where we've seen, there's been something off with this team's attitude the whole year. And again, not to be overly critical, but we've talked about it now for about a month and a half about the body language of Caleb Williams, the body language, the energy of this team on the sideline. There just doesn't seem to be unity on that sideline. They're not genuinely happy for each other when good things are happening, and they're not able to shake off negative things and find a way to turn the page and rally around each other. It's a lot of Caleb sulking alone on the bench, kind of pouting, giving his looks, and the team kind of looking around quiet, waiting for a leader to emerge. And I think that's a product of some growth Caleb needs to have as a leader, uh, because I think he's always just kind of thought of himself as how do I get to the next step? How do I become a better player? But I think the, the the last step in his maturation in college is how do I become a better leader? And I think it's also on Lincoln Riley to say, look, the games are not just one with X's and O's with creative plays. There's a human emotion here. You have mm-hmm. to be able to inspire. You have to be able to teach. You have to be able to put your arm around these kids when they're too low. And you got to be able to chew their butt a little bit when they're too high. And there's an emotional element. And I haven't seen that yet with Lincoln Riley. We've seen him sort of blow up at the officials from time to time and kind of releasing that stress. But he hasn't been able to really harness real coaching into his players outside of just X's and O's play calling. Yeah, I understand that. Let's uh, let's move on to this game that we got going this weekend. We got in deep into sports psychology. That is, hey, when you're on the 91 crawl and it takes you an hour and a half to get home, you come up with a lot of good Absolutely. show topics. <laughs> Oh my goodness. That was great, man. I appreciate you for that. That was that was that was probably one of our greatest segments ever. That's that was a good one. Um Washington, Michael Penix Jr. is coming in. Oh man. I'm excited and I hope the game lives up to what it is, right? What should we expect from this game, right? Like you have your three pillars, and we talked about them earlier in the show. We understand Washington doesn't have that, right? So what will it take? Here's a good question. Let, let's uh, redact the other question. What will it take for SC to come out on top in this game playing against Washington? Uh, w- uh, you know, I think it's a really good question, Fred. I think there's a couple of elements here. One is I think it's absolutely imperative that they win the turnover battle. I think that this is a game where the turnover battle is really going to matter. We, you talked a little bit earlier about Marshawn Lloyd and and his ability to cough it up. You know, we've seen Caleb protect the ball really beautifully for, for the majority of this season and last season, but we saw what happened against Notre Dame. We've seen some near misses as well in terms of some dropped interceptions. So that is going to be key is protecting the ball because this game is all going to be about how do you steal a possession or two? You know, mm-hmm. that's really what this is going to come down to. So number one, you have to be able to protect the ball. Number two, I think that Penix is a guy on the road because he has so much confidence in his arm and his arm talent is just through the roof. I think his arm talent is the best in the country, uh, even more than Caleb's, frankly, just in terms of arm talent, that he may give one up, one or two up. And so that that turnover battle is going to be absolutely critical. Number two, I think it's where can you steal a stop in the red zone? And by stop, I mean hold him to a field goal. 
you yeah. know, whoever can kind of use the the reduction in space to their advantage, be able to use the sideline, be able to kind of double an Odunze, be able to force Penix to sort of roll out and run out of real estate, be able to really not necessarily even be a great defensive team, but be kind of bend but don't break and kind of leverage the lack of space to your advantage to go make a play or two. And then third, Fred, I think the key is going to be this is a team in Washington that really doesn't run the ball, and they don't really run it particularly effectively. Their leading rusher, Dylan Johnson, has 430 yards on the season through eight games. That's an average of about 53 yards per game. Their leading rusher averages 53 yards per game. They don't really run the ball that much. And so can you get Washington in second and long? Can you get Washington in third and long and then steal a possession with a sack? You know, can Jamil Muhammad get there? Can, you know, one of these, can Mason Cobb get there? Can obviously Bear kind of break through the interior and get there? I think that's going to be the key. Win the turnover battle. Find a way to bend but don't break in the red zone and be able to kind of steal a stop or two through second and long and third and long situations with pressure. Yeah, and so to come up, to counter off that, I, I will give you a really good key to win this game. And this is probably one of the most important things I think is going to take to win this game. And I'll, I'll, I got the whiteboard ready, and we'll get in that in a little bit. But play your game, right? Whoever can control this game will be able to come out on top. And so SE has to control their game and play their game. There's going to be, as you always say, ebbs and flows, right? This is going to be a game with a bunch of highs and a bunch yes. of lows, right? But at, at one point, you're going to have to play your game and you're going to have to control the game. And if SE could, could get to that point where they control the game, right, and not let Washington take the pace, right, or like, oh, we got to score, they got to score. Just get to a point where like, all right, stop. Let's stop. Let's take a breath. Let's run, play our game. Let's just call what we call. Let's practice what we practice and do what we do. And I think that will be a major factor in the playing the game. If they try to keep up with one another, that's what it's going to go. Okay, who has the ball last, right? But I do think if SC gets to a point, they're just like, let's stop this right here, right? And and th this might sound crazy, but even if they do go with three and out, but they go with three and out, not a three and out, even if they do have the punt, but they make good progress down the field and then yeah. they just get stalemated and they punt and they get a defensive stop. Right. And it's a field goal. Let's just say they end up giving up a field goal. Right. We're being realistic. I'm, I'm being realistic. They give up a field goal. They still have good momentum on offense and they're still right. playing their game. Right. And then you just go back to doing what you're doing before you know it. When you look up, it's like the mouse, the mouse in a bucket of milk. He's calling out the bucket because now it's butter, right? So <laughs> those are the things. Like, it, if you you can't play the pace game, and I hate when coaches get into, oh, let's play the pace game. We're going to score more than them. If I'm, I understand how the air raid works, and I understand where he is, but don't play the pace game here. Play your game and control your game. And I think if you go and control your game and play the game like you want to, and not try to play the game keeping up with one each other, that's going to be the biggest difference. And if 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 they play the game like that, SC has a possibility of winning the game by 14 points if they play the game like that, because now they have complete control. I'm not saying physical dominance or anything like that. I'm just talking strategically. They have control of the game. Right. But if they want to let the go again, go back and forth and keep playing on highs and lows, then it's going to. OK, who has the ball last? OK, we got out of it by three. We played it. We got out of it. That's all that matters. Step back and take a breath. Slow it down. Slow the game down. 
and then you'll see great success from that. Absolutely, Fred. Think? I think I think you said it really well in terms of the ebbs and flows. And I think the way you do that is by understanding momentum as well, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that you have to sort of harness the momentum. Where things really went south in that Utah game, for instance, at home, is when after 14-7, SC essentially went two-plus quarters without scoring. They couldn't even right. really move the ball. And so it sucked the air out of the building. It lost, the, the players on offense lost confidence. And Utah felt like they could kind of get a stop whenever they wanted. And what that fed to them was, hey, we can keep running the ball. We can keep using Vaki and Jaquin and Jackson. Mm-hmm. We don't have to kind of get out of ourselves because we're able to play really great defense. So I think here the difference is USC has to avoid those mistakes in terms of the turnover game and the mistakes defensively, uh, both uh, in the red zone and overall, so the momentum stays on their side, so they kind of feel that ebb and flow, uh, to your point, Fred. Yeah, perfect. And then, so I want to get into strategy now. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk strategy now. And I and Chess Master Fred, here we go. <laughs> so here we go here. Let me, uh, I'll just do that. So this right here is the play that Stanford ran. They, had, they, got, they got some success on it. They ran, actually, the guy who's labeled number six, their tight end, they ran a will. He he completed on this pass. But I want to talk to how Marshawn Lloyd could really get involved here. And there's one thing that I always talk about, and I and I labeled it for you guys, is the numbers, right? And the reason why you always want to be plus one. See, so here I really don't understand why Washington is playing two high safeties here because this is what we call Trey Y off, right? And Trey Y off is trips with a tight end. This is the Y and he's off. So anytime you have a tight end, it's Trey. You either have Trey or Trey Wyall, which means there's another receiver up here. So you play corner, you put this guy to the middle, you tell him lean, 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 or you say, I got it. You lock him up and put him on the island. There's really no need for too high here, right? So when you go in through the count, and I have a count here, you see the yellow, Stanford, you got six. Washington, they have a six-man box. So even if I was just to draw just basic lines, I know it's going to do that to me. Give me one second, guys. I'm sorry. I cannot get this fixed. Even if you draw basic lines, and they're big enough now, too. Sorry about that. You draw basic lines, I go here. He just enjoys drawing lines, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh... <laughs> I go here. Excuse my lines. I go here. I go get that guy here, right? That's a great That's a great T-shirt. Excuse my lines. You know, that's a, that's a great <laughs> slogan right there. I go get this guy. I could go get this guy here. I'll cut him off, right? And then we'll go down right there and then i'll hit control c control v and i'll go take this line and i'll put this guy right here and i'll go down and i seal it right this right here gives you great opportunity to run outside zone game right you run these two guys off bam bam you run those guys off you got the guy up high even if he comes down late to make the tackle you normally when i say guys come down late and make the tackle they'll make the tackle at maybe about right here that's about a six yard game right so they got a hat for a hat and, and Lincoln Riley runs this a lot. This is McCree right here, right? Mm-hmm. So Lincoln Riley runs this a lot. We could get a lot of outside zone. Even if they want to run power, they go down, down, right? This center goes back and gets him, and they pull around. And now they go and pick up either the linebacker or they go pick up the safety. Marshawn Lloyd's out the gate. They have they don't have the numbers in the box, but they but they have every look that they need because of this too high look. Me, ideally, I would take this guy right here, and I will put him down. 
and I'll scoot it over just so I have one more in the box so they don't have enough to block me. But they want to give us a six-man box. We'll take that all day. And that this will be Marshawn Lloyd's ticket to become an All-American, right? So I want to go over – I'm going to go do both sides. Of the Fred, one thing if I can just sort of add to that point on, on your previous visual there, I think the key is also – the receiver to the immediately to the right of the tight end, you know, right is right there. Exactly. I think for SC, that's got to be Taj Washington. And, yep, and I the can even help I you out, that, Jamal. Watch this. Yeah. Watch this. We're Ooh, way... Here it comes. There you yes. go. Red Square, yeah, Fred, I think needs to be Taj Washington because mm-hmm. one of the things that we're seeing the last couple of weeks is even when SC is running bubble screens, guys, the, the corners are sort of crashing and blowing it up horizontally. And it's really kind of putting Nessie off schedule. And so when you look at this receiving core, one of the challenges, particularly with Brendan Rice and some others, they're not great blockers. But the best blocking receiver on this team by far is Todd Washington. So even when you see even numbers from a line and a box perspective, it's really critical who you motion uh, in that slot next to the tight end. And it's got to be Todd to then be able to create that seal for Marshawn Lloyd to get to the outside. Yeah, 100%. And, and good receivers take pride in blocking, right? Steve Smith, Marvin Harrison, all good receivers take pride in blocking. So they even have the bubble screen out here if they really wanted it because he's so far off, right? right. So if he goes now and all he has to do, all this guy has to do is just get in the way. He goes and gets in the way and he just has to go. The goal is not to score a touchdown. The goal is to get in second and manageable, third and manageable, right? right? right. Let's move the ball here. This is one of the games where you want to keep the ball out of Michael Penix Jr.'s hands, right? So you might have to take some time, you know? So it, they, they actually have the bubble screen here because they're playing off. Uh, let's slide over to defense, right? So here's a formation here. I actually I actually like this here. <laughs> Believe it or not, I like, I, I like what they're doing here. So here's the thing right here where you're going to have to put the numbers in the box. So Stanford is actually doing a good job. If I go here and highlight this right here with this guy here, bring in extra pressure. Right. So if you go and look, you got six, you got seven, right? One, two, three, four, five, it's eight six, on defense, seven, eight. You see that right. you got eight on defense. So you got extra pressure. You go create the pressure right now. There's not enough to block what you would. Sorry, not Utah. What Washington did out of this actually is, they sent this guy on a go. They sent him on a go route, and he was wide open. And he caught it. So that's a little worrisome here because we do run a lot of too high. Ideally, I would go and I'll create a three-man surface here with the linebacker help. I wouldn't blitz him per se. I would put him back here and just to help out with the run, just in case he ran anything shallow. We have a guy immediately. Or here's the problem. If he ran slant right now, there's nobody in the slant. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I will put a backer here. Just for slant, you know, he'll be in the slant hole and he can help on the he can help on the run. So anything shallow, like I talked about in the past, you get catch carrying deliver. You could bring this back and then you got two guys, which I will tell this guy right here. You take everything immediately to the flat unless you get vertical by both. And I will have a guy on top here. You take vertical right now. So I have somebody for up under. I have somebody to go vertical and I have somebody to take the flat immediately. So I have for for our. For our viewers, where is the Stanford's eleventh defender located? Uh, is it is it one high or is it is he sort of shadowing that inside receiver? He's up high. He's up high up here. Okay. Okay. He's up high up here. I I didn't 
I try to keep the the logo out of the uh out of when I take the screenshot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, of right course, of course. Yeah. yeah. So but he's just, the, just so he, yeah, just so yeah. we're aware. Yep. Okay. He's yeah, over there. He's, yep. Yeah, he's the extra safety right here. That would be right here. Look, I'll just draw like a little O right here. He's like back here. There's a, he's the extra safety here. Right. So, so, Fred, I mean, are you concerned at all with this look? I mean, you, the initial observation you had was, hey, this is a really good formation for Washington to do some things. Now, they may get bottled up in the run game from time to time because, again, the numbers don't work in their favor. But if you look at USC, particularly without the other branch, Zion branch, who's been such a stud for this team in the secondary, if you've got a non-Zion branch corner kind of on that island, against those two that are stacked to the right, you know, Washington, this could be sort of feast for Washington pretty consistently. Yeah, so here's the thing. This guy right here, and I'm going to take this box, and I'm going to move it. This guy right here is an extra offensive lineman. Yep. So, And he's covered up by this receiver up here, so he's ineligible, right? So we talk about personnel all the time. You get what I'm saying? We talk yep. about who should play at linebacker. If all of the days... If all of the days and all the nights and all the years Shane Lee needs to be in the game, this is the time Shane Lee needs to be right here. I will put Shane Lee right here. And I will just tell him, big man, you just go eat. You just go take care of the metal. You got bear in front of you eating up stuff. You just take care of the metal. I will put Gentry to the passing straight side, and I'll put, I'll put Mason Cobb to the backside because he's a little faster. He could go fill backside holes and there's a tight end here and i don't have a problem with mason cobb running with the tight end so if all of the days you want to go traditional four three this is the time you want to go traditional four three because of what you have and this guy's not eligible so basically you have a receiver eligible here and you have a receiver eligible here and this guy's eligible right so even if you do need mason cobb to cover that guy and you got a safety back or a corner because corner was what you put i will have him play what you call c7 c gap seven yards off you got the guy covered so if he goes vertical and he goes to the flats you could do one or two things here right if he goes vertical you could take have him take vertical all day but what happens is he gets caught in the wash when he goes and covers the running back you could do another thing was called a swap call. So a swap call tells this guy, hey, if back releases, corner takes the back, linebacker runs with the tight end. It puts you in a better situation. You know how I always say you got to put your players in the best situation possible? That way when he runs to go get it, and I'll draw a line for you. When he, If the running back releases and he runs this way, right, and this guy right here decides to go vertical, yeah. he doesn't get caught in that wash. All he has to do now is just now he's going with this vertical, right? And then this guy right here who's playing C7, or you could do a peel call, and this guy has to appeal a whole different ballgame. We're not going to get too deep. And this Fred guy Martin, right here could take the back. Go ahead. Are you concerned, Fred, with that with that tight end on on the, the, the near side of the screen here, on the bottom right of the screen? One of the challenges with this the guy Grinch right defense, the guy right there, yep. The One of the cha challenges with the Grinch defense all year has been the tight end's ability to get behind the linebackers and getting inside position off of the secondary. I mean, if you recall what Cal ran, they ran almost this exact play over and over again with a right-handed quarterback, and it just seemed like every time their tight end or a big-bodied receiver had inside position. So are you concerned with this formation not only exposing SC a bit, on that far side of the field with the two wide receivers, but also 
if this tight end gets behind, you know, if it just sort of runs in an inside post, let's say, um, you know, you're, you're sort of getting behind the linebackers and you're getting inside leverage on that secondary defender on the near side, that becomes pretty problematic. And then your high, you know, your high corner on the far side all of a sudden starts getting a little bit confused where if he starts overcommitting to that tight end, then all of a sudden you've got one of those two receivers on the far side wide open. Yeah, so there's there's so the one way I told you you can run a swap call, right? And I don't think they will run a swap call because I don't know if they know it. You could also you could also run what's called peel, right? And what peel does, and I am concerned with it because they always have this guy going to get the back and they get caught in the wash. Right. So that's exactly. why I said that that's one of the concerns, right? In order to fix it, there's three things. The first two I showed you, but you could also run peel and then use this guy in the run game, which is why you put him at C seven. Right. So if you put number four, this guy right here, if you put him right here at C7 and you tell this guy he's the pill player, anytime he releases. Yeah. Right. He takes him and now he has the outside contain on the run. Right. That's one way to do it. And then the swap calls a way to do it. And then the way Alex Grinch does it is a way to do it. But I don't like it because I, it, you, I don't like getting caught in the wash. So the reason that's one of the reasons why I did bring it up is because of, um, is because that he uh they could run this and that yeah. the tight ends have a lot of success in Alex Jones defense because they're zone droppers instead of match zone players. Well, so- what's so fascinating, Fred, about your breakdown, and it was phenomenal analysis as always, is that when we think about this game at a macro level, we think about a lot of points, we think about a quarterback duel, but also visually we're thinking about a lot of receivers. But mm-hmm. what you're suggesting here is that actually Washington's most effective formation is having multiple an extra offensive lineman only having two receivers and having a tight end where there's numbers advantages on the outside with the two wide receivers but there's also an opportunity for the tight end to get open on that near side so it's kind of fascinating that when we think about all these points we're thinking about five wide spread it out you know let's sort of chuck it all over the field but in reality, it's kind of more of this max protect scheme offensively is what's going to enable uh, more big plays for Washington, given schematically what USC likes to do, which is so counterintuitive. Right. And so the thing that causes those situations is because it's a lot of confusion. Right. right. And it's right. It's legal picks. You get what I'm saying? So if you have the back release and the tight end going, you got guys running to each other, two guys at the top of the field, they ran a crosser. Right. And so, like, when you try to man that stuff up, which Alex Grinch lives and dies in, man, right? Like, back off. You, and, like I said earlier, control the game. It's right. okay to, it's okay to sit in a zone, right? Control the game and let them come to you. And, and like you said, Michael Penix is a gunslinger. Most quarterbacks with strong arms, they try to force things, right? And they try to hit it downfield. Just let it come to you. Let him throw you right. one. Just stay patient and let him throw you one, and that will happen, right? And the more and then the more patient you stay, the more frustrated he gets. The more he's going to throw you. So it's kind of those are kind of things you got to stay uh, patient with. That was the underdog fantasy whiteboard. I like the new program, Jamal. I think that was a good idea. I think that was the one to go to. Absolutely, I love it. Let's close this thing out, man. I, I don't want to make you late for late for your dinner. Uh, what do you want to see? What do you want to see this weekend? I'll let you know right now. You already know I'm going to say a complete game, but I'm going to tell you other besides a complete game. (laughs) But what do you want to see this weekend from the Trojans? Fred, what I want to see, you know, we talked about the three pillars. We talked Mm -hmm. about, you know, how do you sort of stop this team? 
one thing for me is we got to see Washington at at or under 100 yards. This cannot be a game where Washington gets 160, 180, 200 yards. This is a team that's only averaging 120 yards on the season. In bigger games, they run the ball less. They struggle in short yardage. And so I'm really looking, particularly with that characteristic, where is Washington kind of limited in their run game, which is consistent with who they are over the course of the season, and are they going to struggle in short yardage, which is also consistent with who they are over the course of the season. So those are the two things I'm looking for. If those two things kind of get blown up this game, I have a hard time believing SC's going to come out on top. But those two things are two barometers to keep your eye on over the course of this game. I got you. So I will say this. Besides the rankings and all the hype, this is a very, very winnable. After we look at this and break it down and really get deep into this. For sure. This is a very winnable game for SC, right? Negative three is a little bit of disrespect. I I think this is an even game. I think this is a legit pick them. You know what I mean? Like this, the SC could easily come out. And I will say this, and I'm not trying to fanboy or anything like this, but this is a game where if things go right, we look up, SC wins the game by 14 points. There's that possibility in this game. You know what I mean? Like, oh, wow. Like, (laughs) that's pretty impressive. You know what I mean? They have that ability, right? So there's the thing. I don't believe in perfection because nobody plays perfect, right? But I used to tell my players this all the time. You have to play a near-perfect game this week, right? Because these are one of the games where one mistake could change the whole outcome of the game. So this is the one time, like uh, weeks, you've been saying me, hearing me say, I just want to see a complete game. This isn't a time to be to just beg for a complete game. We need to see a near perfect game from SE. And in reality, we only need to see a near perfect three quarters. If we get a near perfect three quarters and we get all those things that you always say, stop the run, bend but don't break, still a possession. Like I said, just slow the game down. Be in control. Just keep everything in front of you. If you get a near perfect three quarters and then you get not even you get an average and average is good for SC's defense. You get an average SC defense in the fourth quarter. When we're talking on Sunday, we're like, wow, okay, how do we build on this? Right. Because all it's all there. The bones are there but we just have to make it complete, right? Like, this is the chance to, like, reseal the foundation. Remember I said we cracked the foundation and we took a sledgehammer to it. We could reform the foundation here, and it's possible. And the thing about it is it's against the number five team in the nation. We have the ability to beat the number five team in the nation by 14 points. The ability. Yeah, I mean, I'm not Fred, saying it can happen, but we have the ability. No, it's a very compelling uh, set of statements here, Fred. I sort of go back to the fundamentals of, and I don't want to repeat myself from the start of the show, but I want to kind of bring this back full circle. <clears throat> Three ingredients to beat USC. Pressure with four, drop seven, mm-hmm. win short yardage, have elite quarterback play. The, the teams that did all three of those things, i.e. Notre Dame and Utah, beat USC. The teams right. that could only do two of those three things, most notably elite quarterback play, rush with four, drop back seven, but not win in short yardage, almost beat SC, which was Arizona and Cal, right? What was right. the difference in those games? It was those final short yardage plays determined who won and who lost. Washington, in my opinion, Fred, can only do one of those three things. They have super elite quarterback play. I don't think they have enough in terms of the front four to generate pressure, and I don't think they can win in short yardage. 
Listen, this is the number five team in the country. They are undefeated, but they were significantly aided by three very, very questionable fourth down decisions by Dan Lanning. If Dan Lanning just sort of stays within himself, this is not the number five team in the country. This is more like the number 12 or number 13 team in the country. So they are, they are a little inflated in terms of the ranking. I think that this is a very good matchup for USC at home. As long as they win the turnover battle, they're going to have to win that turnover battle. If they do, they have the ability to win this game. The winner of the turnover battle is ultimately who's going to walk out of the Coliseum with the victory. I got another one for you too, Jamal. That's a very key point to this game. No dumb penalties when it matters. It seems like SC always gets a dumb penalty when we need the score or we need the ball, we need an important drive. Fred, that's, no that's almost like a turnover. You know, we, yeah. we almost sort of count that as a turnover because a, a penalty that essentially extends a drive when you've stopped them or gives them new life when it should have been third down, that's essentially a turnover because it's, it's a change of possession, right? What is mm-hmm. a turnover? It's a change of possession suddenly. A, a penalty on third down is the equivalent of a turnover. So they're going to have to limit the, those turnovers by actually getting coughing up the ball or intercepting the ball, but also those penalties that would keep Washington on the field. Whoever wins that turnover margin is going to win this game because, to your point, Fred, these are actually two pretty evenly matched teams. This is the, the craziness of college football this year. Yeah. You got one team that's 8-0 that had the Heisman front runner up until two weeks ago. Another team where the sky is falling down, rightfully so, has not played anywhere near their potential. One of the biggest disappointments in the United States of America this year. And yet, they're going to play 430 at the Coliseum, and it's kind of a dead heat. And so welcome to the wild world of college football, the sport that we all know and love. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to leave you with this. Better teams play better for longer periods of time. And I'm going to explain this and we'll wrap it up. I'm not saying the better team will play better for all 60 minutes. There's periods of times where a team needs to be better in the game. And those teams play better for those periods of time. The better team who plays better for a longer period of time will win the game on Saturday. And hopefully that's SC. There has been times where they were the better team. They played better for longer periods of time, and they came out with the win, even though it was a, a win that situation they should have never been in. But Utah, right? Utah was the better team for a longer period of time. SC needs to be a better team for a longer period of time, and they will come out with the win on Saturday. Jamal, it's been great, man. I love talking to you. We, you, you make me a smarter person. I just want to let you know that. Like that's why I brag about all your degrees. You make me smarter. Oh you're, my goodness! Your intellect. Well, you're the crazy. one with the the whiteboard here, Fred. I'm learning from you. You were the teacher, and I was the student. So always a pleasure, my friend. This was a terrific show, and hope our audience enjoys it. And uh, big one Saturday night. Yep, I can't wait. Uh, see you guys Sunday for Victory Sunday. Uh, we're hoping for Victory Sunday. I like I said, it's a pick 'em. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see our text message line blow up. Hey, uh, if you want to stay up on girl, she's like our girl Candace always says. We're sorry you guys missed it. Candace will be back. She's still a part of the show. All the Candace fans out there, she's will be back. She had a busy week. She's getting ready for playoffs. Um, hey, go to drinkag1.com backslash salute to Troy. You get uh a year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. Remember to go to your local vendor, get your fight on pile ale by stone brewery. Also vendor underdogfantasy.com and go on the app. It's a fantasy pick them. You get to pick two to four players. It will give you a $500 up to $500 match bonus. If you put USC LAFB in. So 
We appreciate you, Jamal. We appreciate our friends. We appreciate you, everybody. Sunday, Victory Sunday. I'm calling it right now. It's going to be a Victory Sunday. I think this is going to be a Victory Sunday we'll be happy about. You know what I mean? We get to answer questions, celebrate. Hopefully, we get our Sooner fans back. We love our Sooner fans. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, we get them back. Hey, guys, it's been great. Thank you guys for all your support. We Like we said, we love you guys. We couldn't do this without you guys. We appreciate everything you guys do. Keep liking us. Keep subscribing. Keep telling your friends. And we're going to make this thing grow. The goal is to get a gold play button and put it next to Ryan's mirror. Appreciate you guys. We'll see you guys Sunday. Live free. Fight on.